Hello everyone, this is The Spirit World, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. I'm your moderator, Evan Catlin, and joining me this week is panelist, Corey Hollingsworth. Hello, hello. And co-moderator, Emily Danko. Good morning. How is everyone doing? Great. (laughs) Pretty excited to be back podcasting. Yes, for the viewers at home, it's been a while. Uh, Life gets in the way and physical ailments get in the way. So thank you all for being patient and hope you guys look forward to this episode. Uh, This, since it's been a while, we have quite a bit of news. So I'm going to run through most of this, but we have some some important things to talk about, uh, as as the listeners probably know. The first thing is that uh, the He-Man remake slash sequel... um, that's on Netflix right now. Uh, some of the crew said that they were inspired by Korra as well as uh, Wonder Woman to design their female characters. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that um, Korra is now old enough to influence other cartoons. Thank you, Korra. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the show? Is it good? I have not seen the the new one. No, because it's supposed Corey, to, it's supposed like to be thing. a direct. It's supposed to be a direct uh, sequel to the original one from the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that'd be like your bread and butter right now. Nope. <laughs> okay. Because no, right, well, I, I kind of want to watch the old one before I watch the new one. But <laughs> I don't think you need to. That show isn't good at all. <laughs> it's an 80s cartoon marketed to or for, for, making, for making toys. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet either, but, but yeah. I do have to. I'm, I'm excited to see realistic female bodies yeah yeah absolutely okay uh suki alone has released it uh came out i believe last month in Mm -hmm. july uh it is pretty interesting so look forward to a future episode where we discuss suki alone as well as the other uh one shots that um have come out recently uh the other comic related news is that free comic book day just happened about a week ago and um, I got bright. I got up bright and early and rode my bike all the way to the nearest comic book shop and waited an hour in line. Wow! And I was the only one who showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was that weird guy staring at everyone, <laughs> getting ready inside, and they stared at me because I was the weird guy who was the only one. Um, in my defense, the last time I went to a comic book day, it was super packed. But I think it was weird this week or this year because it was just not at its normal time yeah um, but but that comic was really good and maybe in the future we will discuss it uh another interesting thing that kind of was brought to my attention that i forgot about is the olympics happened i'm not a sports guy but this is like the sports i would say it's the super bowl for for sports nerds but i guess that already exists um <laughs> emily apparently some people are dressing up in avatar what? outfits yeah Do you want to tell me about, uh, a little bit about that? there's a wind surfer i think he's from the netherlands i can't remember off the top of my okay. head um but uh a, a wind surfer had a not just like the avatar arrow shaved into his head like he legit dyed his hair blue in the in an homage to ang he's like well i'm not an actual airbender but i'm gonna you know pay homage to one of the greats and so i thought that was really cool and then um some Mexican synchronized swimmers 
had Twee and Law on the front of their suits for their synchronized swim routine, and then they had the four symbols of the four nations on the back of their swimsuits, and it's oh, okay. absolutely gorgeous. The the like sometimes you look at the synchronized swimsuits. I love all the like swimming and aquatics events for the Olympics, so I'm like obsessed. And it's just a very very beautiful swimsuit. It was really cool to see. Did either of those two, the the swimmers or the, the windsurfer, did they get the gold? Did they get any medal? Um, pretty sure the windsurfer got a medal. Yeah, I think that he did. I, I think he he might have gotten. Oh yeah, he did win gold. Dang. Yeah, and he's like, and he like. Ang was. Yeah. Talk about a metal bender. (laughs) But when he posted about it, he was just like, "Oh yeah, Ang was with me in spirit," which is kind of cool. Like he was, he was kind of humble about it and was just like, "Yep, it's all due to Ang." That's cute. Well, uh, it's kind honestly though. Like, if you want to bring this into a bigger conversation. That really shows you that the show has gotten extremely popular over oh, the yeah. years and that, you know, not just with Netflix and everything, but kids who watched it back then are now adults winning gold medals at the Olympics. Yeah. So uh, it's crazy to think about because when I first watched the show, no one knew what the show was. <laughs> so it's crazy to see. So uh, speaking of, of crazy things, uh, if you guys don't know, there was a Kickstarter for a Avatar tabletop game styled kind of like D&D, but using a different method of tabletop. Um, what's crazy is that they broke all sorts of records. Oh, yeah. So as I understand it, as I understand it, they reached their goal in 10 minutes. They reached a million dollars in like an hour. Wow. I believe, something like that. They are currently at like six and a half million dollars with essentially about a week eight days left that's crazy <laughs> and um they are i believe now like the number one tabletop kickstarter and then in terms of all kickstarters they're like top five wow, wow. that's incredible i didn't know that that's and cool. uh yeah yeah and so i kind of wanted to talk about the kickstarter because there's a couple of things that i think is cool about this so Essentially, there you know, if you don't know what Kickstarter is, you pledge a tier to say, "I want this project to happen," and then if it reaches its goal, it happens, and you may or may not get what you paid for. And with this case, obviously, they're backed by a big company. Uh, companies now use Kickstarter just to guarantee success rather than design a project, release it, and it may or may not yeah. get. Um, its mm-hmm. sale goals. They also use this to kind of drum up excitement because it's easier to hype up a Kickstarter release than just release it to local chapters. Um, so uh, it you basically you get certain tiers at the 75 and up tier gets you all the stretch goals, which is really important because there's a boatload. Oh, they yeah. added like NPC characters from every show. They added uh, little additional booklets and hardcover things and if you get the highest end one, you get a fancy obsidian dice and a fancy dice bag. Honestly, I don't even care. I don't even <laughs> care that they're made of obsidian. I just went for the highest tier and bought it. So, if you're interested to see how much I paid for it, you can find out for yourself. But I'm not going to admit it on camera. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting about this project is that 
it made a boatload of money as oh, yeah. we discussed. And the question I want to bring to you two is this, you know, essentially almost $7 million is not being spent on the two expansions that they have already announced. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This is being used to beef up the original. So additional stuff, more content, more physical rewards. Does that feel wrong to you at all? That they probably could have spent the $7 million to fund the entire expansion? And you and I both know that they're probably going to do two more Kickstarters for the expansions when it comes time. Capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. Fair. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for, like, beefing up your original game so it doesn't feel like you have to have the DLC for it to be a complete thing, you know? Um, yeah, but nothing they're adding yeah. is... You know, if you had, if you went to a different timeline and it only made its original goal, it would still be a solid yeah. project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that it would be great if we could just use this to fund the expansion packs as well. Um, but I do get it. it I, I do understand as a marketing tactic, it's a it's a good idea to like hype things up that way. So yeah, I'd just be curious to know where the excess money is going, mm-hmm. or if indeed the way they structured their stretch goals, they're breaking even. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? I'd like yeah. to I'd like to know where it goes, but. Um, did you guys back this yet? I've already said that I have. I was thinking about backing it um, just because I know my brother would probably really enjoy playing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, if you want all those, if you want the like hundred stretch goals they reached, the seventy-five and up tier is uh, the one that yeah. gets you that. I believe their latest one. Uh, they had one where you get a pie show tile, and then the other one uh, they're going to develop a mobile app. That's going to oh. be fun. Like a, like a mobile assistant sort of thing. Um, the nice thing Emily, is... Emily, you going to bounce on this? No. I th- well, so the thing to remember is that like if one of us buys it, both of us have it. Oh, oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so you guys are did... living together now, we, but... We, yeah. did that with the, uh, we did that with the Marvel Munchkin when it came out. Yep. <laughs> uh, we got two of okay. them because they had the special uh, expansion cards, and then... Um, we ended yeah. up giving one of them to someone as like a Christmas gift or uh, something. I've done that with extra Avatar stuff, haven't I, Corey? Oh yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's great. Um, I'm excited to see where they continue. Hopefully, they reach seven million because I think with seven million, they're going to make a hard cover. Like every single thing they've added, they're going to fit into its own hard cover oh. book. Called so cool. Wang Chitong's library, I think. So That's cool. hopefully they reach seven million. If they go beyond that, I don't know what the heck they're gonna, what they're gonna make. At some <laughs> point, you gotta say enough is enough. I mm-hmm. feel. Every um, game will come with a bottle okay. of cactus juice if they reach eight million. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so the biggest piece of news that I really want to talk about, and this might be a pretty meaty conversation is that the Netflix Avatar remake cast was finally announced. And at this point of recording, it was officially announced by Netflix. Although about two and a half weeks before this, Avatar News did break the story. Thank you, uh, my lord and savior. He uh, (laughs) 
I believe he has like an inside source who was involved with casting who broke it to him. And then he, of course, being the only one who had the news, uh, kind of sat on it for a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was fully accurate in in the announcement. Mm-hmm. And so here is our cast. If you can go online, you can see uh, these actors, but their names are, uh, we have Gordon. I'm gonna, by the way, butcher these names. Just so you know, I did not practice this beforehand. <laughs> Gordon Cormier as Aang. Uh, Kaya Wentio as Katara, Ian Ousley as Sokka, and Dallas Liu as Zuko. And they look great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you follow Dallas Liu on Instagram, he's like doing crazy things with swords, yeah. like swinging them around and doing flips and stuff. Like, And uh, 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 Gordon, who plays Aang, is a pretty avid, avid uh, skateboarder. Yep. Mm. And he's actually, there were, I saw a video of him launching off of a skateboard to do like a martial arts kick so like wow. clearly the, <laughs> these guys you know they they have some sort of skill that'll yeah. easily translate hopefully into into uh, choreographed um, martial arts so good for them uh, I believe every single one of them is like a they, they, they've acted in things before, yeah. but none of them are recognizable names. Mm-hmm. You might have seen them in a few things beforehand. I think Dallas Liu is going to be in uh, Shang-Chi um, by oh, Marvel. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, Katara's actor yeah. was, I think, an Anne with an E, so she's already been employed by Netflix. Correct, yes. So there's clearly, you know, like, probably some yeah. casting director already worked with her. And, yeah went from there yeah. so yeah congratulations mm-hmm. to those four uh, the unfortunate thing is that uh, they're also getting controversy because people online seem to be upset for various reasons um, one I saw that people were claiming that Sokka's actor Ian wasn't um, he was too white hmm. apparently even though he's he, he's a person of color um, and there's just like purity tests oh, that people are so upset yeah, yeah, yeah. People are so upset by what happened with the movie that they're overly defensive about any particular thing they do with the Netflix show. Yeah. And I'd like to think that mm-hmm. we've never been that way, that I still don't have high hopes for the show, but I hope that, you know, they do their best. And honestly, I'm not going to be upset with anything they do. Just the casting is better than what they did with the movie. Yes. And I... I already have hopes that this will be pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just there's a lot of weird people getting upset at these actors, and the sad thing is, is these actors can see this, and they've already made comments like, and they're "Hey man, kids. like I'm just doing my thing." They're yeah. kids too. Yeah. They're freaking kids. Mm-hmm. Like the only one who is an adult is Dallas, and he's 20. Yeah. And no, no person should have to deal with the internet uh-huh. targeting them for literally no reason. Yeah. And especially so, like gatekeeping. How, like, what, right. how, how right. Japanese you are, how Chinese you are. Like, that's, ugh. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, pretty much. And if you guys want to know more about toxic fandom, please take a look at Sarah Zed's uh, video on pro shippers versus aunties. It's not necessarily about that, but it's more about the internet fandom as a whole how crazy like toxic it is and how an entire mob of people who think they're doing something good end up becoming almost like a gamergate mob mm-hmm. in a way 
check that video out if you want to know more about it because uh, this is becoming all more common and it's hitting a little too close to home for my taste. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, the big co- uh, we the Netflix along with announcing these uh, this cast, the showrunner um, has a little comment. So I wanted to read that statement. I'm going to paraphrase because it's pretty long. I'm, there's only three paragraphs I want to focus on. Uh, Flash forward 15 years, Netflix offers me the opportunity to develop a live action remake of Avatar. My first thought was why? What is there I could do or say with the story that wasn't said or done in the original? Atla had only grown in popularity and acclaim over the last decade and a half, which is a testament to how complete and resonant a narrative experience it had been. So if it ain't broke, why fix it? Uh Uh-huh. Finally, uh, yeah, exactly. And that that for me is kind of why I'm kind of feeling that he might understand yeah. that you can't just adapt something and mm-hmm. make it exactly the same. You have yes. to make it your own thing. And um, this might be a blessing in disguise, mm-hmm. you know? Like, sure, mm-hmm. it would have been great under Mike and Brian, but Mike and Brian get to continue making new Avatar content and you hand the reins of a remake to someone else mm-hmm. who who enjoys it. Um, I The funny thing that I will say is that uh, earlier in this statement, he says that his daughter is the one who got him into the show, that she watched it as a young child, and then he obviously watched it with her, and he fell in love. The ironic thing is that that is the exact same story that M. Night Shyamalan gave when he was hired on. He said that his daughter was really into it, and (laughs) that he got into it, and that he's a massive fan and wants to treat the show right. So... I hope that they have a bit more self-awareness than that, but um, I do think it's funny that they had it for the exact same reason. Uh, Another awesome paragraph of his is that he says, Finally, a live-action version would establish a new benchmark in representation and bring a whole new generation of fans. This is a chance to showcase Asian and indigenous characters as living, breathing people, not just as a cartoon, but in a world that truly exists, very similar to the one we live in. I really like that comment because, you know, there are still people who try to say that Avatar is just a fake world Uh and the people who in it are just fake ethnicities. No, like this is based in reality. It is important for people to see themselves in in a show that they like. Um, And so I think I think this show is going to be big. Hopefully Mm -hmm. it's big Um, in a good way. Yeah. And then he. In a good way. A big in a good way, obviously, yeah. Um, And then finally, he says, don't get me wrong, we'll be expanding and growing the world, and there will be surprises for fans and those new to the tale. But throughout this process, our byword has always been authenticity. Mm. To the story, to the characters, to the cultural influences. Authenticity is what keeps us going, both in front of the camera and behind it, which is why we've assembled a team unlike any seen before, a group of talented and passionate artists who are working around the clock to bring this rich and incredibly beautiful world to life. Corey, are you excited? Let More excited or less excited after seeing the cast and hearing what Albert Kim has to say? I'm definitely more excited after seeing the cast. Um, and yeah. plus, I, I mean, I'm always kind of a sucker for, you know, live action, you know, what have yous. Um, yeah. But, like, it seems, it seems like we have been kind of, like, saturated with that lately especially with the disney and all you know having to adapt all their classic cartoons so yeah there's there's always that kind of fear in the back of my mind but 
Yeah. Emily, uh, kind of, what are your thoughts about that? Do you do you feel better about this? Yeah, I think that the part that makes me more most excited is his comment about authenticity. Um, one of the yeah. things that we a lot of times talk about in this podcast are the the overarching themes and how authentic they are to real life. You know, with the show, how it talks about mental illness, how it talks about um, war and genocide and cultures and things like that. And I think having that as kind of your mantra is you want to bring a sense of authenticity to this live action. Um, it, it really speaks to the heart of the show and then yeah. gives you permission to, to be authentic, but just in a different way. So you are bringing new things to the table for a live action remake of Avatar. And honestly, him bringing this up like I've always wondered why even do it mm -hmm. like it's a cartoon first like it should exist as a cartoon there's yeah. no reason and Mike and Brian when they first had their statements they said we can finally tell the story the oh, way it right? should have been told and I always I always felt that that rubbed me the wrong way but but Albert here mm -hmm. brings a different spin to it that people deserve to see themselves in this world yeah and sure a cartoon is you know it it's a cartoon but you know you can't always Little kids can't always see themselves in, yeah. in Aang or Zuko. So uh, that is, I think, the way that maybe Mike and Brian should have told it. Yes. Um, you know, th they're not the end-all, be-all. So I appreciate I appreciate the showrunner here for, for putting it that way. That was mm -hmm. the, kind of the first time where I went, oh, you know what? Okay. I kind, of, I kind of accept now the fact that it exists. There's a purpose for it. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we feel good about it. Uh, I'm excited to see more. I don't think they're filming yet. They announced mm -hmm. this pretty early. I think they're filming in November. So mm -hmm. again, we're, we're not going to be seeing this for at least a year. Oh yeah. Um, and we will definitely be tackling each episode individually when it comes out. Oh so yes. look forward to that <laughs> in a year. <laughs> um, anyway... So we're going to move on to the main part of the podcast. Uh, this week we are discussing Imbalance. It is the latest comic trilogy uh, by the Avatar team. And in fact, we are looking at a different team this time. So uh, this time we are looking at Faith Aaron Hicks, who is the writer, mm -hmm. main writer of the comics. Uh, she previously wrote the Last of Us comic American Dreams, mm -hmm. which was very good. Hmm. Um, she also does the art and writing for The Nameless City, which is a comic that is admittedly extremely similar to Avatar. It even uses the exact same font in its cover. <laughs> so I definitely wow. feel like she was going for an Avatar thing there. And she also has a, a previous history with Avatar, she did the art for a free comic book day comic uh, in 2014. Yeah. Oh, nice. And I believe she used to do fan art, like, before she was a, a comic artist. Like, I have an image of my head of her art style, like, maybe 10 years ago. And then she became, like, a webcomic yeah. artist. But I, can't, mm -hmm. I couldn't really find any information about that. Um, and then the art uh, was not, in fact, done by, by Faith, but was done by Peter Wortman, who... Um, he doesn't have like a Wikipedia article mm -hmm. that I can take all this information from, but he uh, is a pretty great artist. Oh yeah, he's done a bunch of other stuff. He has his own comic that he does on his website, and um, so yeah, new team, new art style. Like I'm excited to see what you guys think. So I guess before we get into the story, 
I want to know what you guys feel about this new duo. Mm. So I like when I pulled it up, I immediately just like loved the artwork. Um, there's yeah. something like it's, it's there's like more finite details, but then I also feel like the color palette is like a really good has a really good flow to it. A lot mm-hmm. of comics yeah. can come off as just like it looks like construction paper that's been cut out and put on a on a board and it's really flat. But I really felt like there's a lot of more dimensionality with this one. Yeah, and sure. what I liked about it is that he did he the the way that the color palette was helped the characters seem older. Like this is one of the first comics where I actually feel like Sokka has matured and a lot of these characters have matured a yes. little bit more from the original series because oh the original series has a lot more bright colors. You know, you think about how their yeah. clothing denotes the culture that they come from. There's also some really yeah. beautiful uh, composition, especially with yeah. the, the two sisters, the dichotomy between this bender sister who feels you know like bender should be the superior group of people and then this non-bender sister like seeing all those nuances of expression where the the bender sister will say something you know very oppressive and whatever and then the non-bender sister it just has a, a flash to her and her expression i thought the composition was really really excellent in this comic yeah and and you know we don't mean to say that the previous team was bad at all um we just have been reading a lot of of comics it's a little better (laughs) that team (laughs) it i I would say that they're they have different strengths i I would say they have different strengths and uh peter wortman what i love about his art is that lighting dude Mm -hmm. felt so naturalistic there are moments where Mm -hmm. there's like a sunset and there's like there's like details over their faces, the shadows over their faces, the color, and it fits the mood really well. And it, it to me, it feels for the first time like an evolution of the original show's art style. Yeah. Yeah. That you could almost take his art and animate it, and that's what the show would look like. Yeah. I loved that and, moment. Um, I loved what? that moment where uh, Aang was talking to Katara. And they, I assume they're on Air Temple Island, oh, or like yeah. what would become Air Temple Island. We're gonna talk about that scene. We're okay. gonna talk about that okay. scene, man. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, all in all, I, I think that it's a nice change of pace, um, and it's a shame that we haven't seen another trilogy from this team that we've mm-hmm. been getting one shots because I almost feel like they're being wasted. I yeah. want to see, I want to see more, some more new stories from this team because I really, I really like the writing as well, and we'll get to that. So I guess. In terms of the story, um, Corey, what's your first reaction to this? I, so, obviously, they wanted to set up what would later come back in Korra, and you know, setting yeah. up that discord between the benders and the non-benders. Um, but yeah. there was some like, it just it just felt weird that now it's the benders that feel oppressed, not the non-benders. If that makes sense. No, I mean. I don't think that's weird at all. You know, you see pe- white people right now getting all freaked out mm-hmm. that that like they feel like people of color are taking yep. over and that they're hmm. that they feel oppressed, that they're the ones who feel oppressed, that there's that there's you know, that they feel like they're they have racism being targeted towards them and that they're being taken away from their spaces, blah 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 blah. I think that is an extremely, extremely common, unfortunately, extremely common viewpoint oh, in yeah. modern, at least in modern America. And so I 100% believed it. I actually thought it made a lot of sense that, okay. uh, 
that you know they've had the dominant position for uh -huh. thousands of years and now the playing field is being leveled a little bit it feels like oppression right. but it's not right exactly and so i actually disagree with you i think it actually makes a lot of sense like a lot of sense and it actually helps the core of season one feel a lot more legit mm -hmm. gotcha i guess um, i guess what i meant to say is like i thought if they wanted to set up the stuff in Korra, that they would have done the same kind of like framing but well no i mean it i just think that the technology would create a massive mm -hmm. social movement to kind of rebel against that technology mm -hmm. and give it another 70 years and kind of things would e equalize a little bit um before the events of of i mean i'm i'm really I'm really upset that Corey didn't even respond to my pun there. How dare you? See, I, in, are, for me, I you? thought that... <laughs> so to me, I think that with the the way that the equalists pan out, and I, ha and I need to figure out the way that I want to phrase this, but I think that it actually, okay. like, makes the equalist storyline make a little less sense to me. I mean... Okay. Um... Because I was reading it and I was like, okay, yeah, like we see this in modern America. You see like white supremacist groups growing in popularity the same way that you see these rise in these bender groups. And then you move to Korra and then you have this really violent equalist group. And so to me, um, you know, thinking about the, the way that oppressed people respond to oppression, I was like, and the way that we've seen you know, people of color, LGBTQ people, you know, trying to change things so they aren't oppressed. I'm kind of like, does Cora's perspective really make sense? And do the equalists really make sense? And it, it was just, I don't know. I think that they handled that division in a, in a better way in the comics than maybe Cora season one did. I mean, you have to remember that um, it is written by two different people. Yes, yes. And I agree that, with that, uh, too. But it's just a very interesting, the, like... Hmm. I'm trying to figure out how, how no, my I should... My, the, point yeah. I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that in 2011, 2010, 20, 2009, when Korra was being written, it was not an allegory for real life. Yeah, that's true. That it took inspiration for real life, but it was not an allegory for real life. They literally in the comics say bender supremacy. Yeah. So this is clearly yeah. taking oh, very from yeah. real life current inspiration. And it's written by a team of different people. It was written by Faith Eric Hicks and I believe Tim, Tim Hendricks, who was a writer on Korra and Avatar, mm -hmm. not um, not Mike and Brian. Mm -hmm. So I think I think I understand the dichotomy you're 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 yeah. kind of concerned about, but I think if we take a look at the fact that they were written a decade apart, oh yeah, um, that you know, and again, um, that is you know that is a criticism on 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 Korra that the the oppressed group um, kind of becomes the they become a violent fringe and, group, yeah, and that's and that's kind of like what a lot of people think like. BLM protests yeah. become, that they're going to like start shooting people in the streets exactly. and stuff. But I think again, like it was just, you know, 
I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I feel like I'm really old that I'm saying that it's a product of its time in a way. Yeah. I feel super old when I say that. I just you wanted know? to bring it I'm up because I, Cora. I thought it was really yeah. interesting yeah. and I was, I w wanted you're, to kind of right. bring that up and, and not just like gloss over the fact that we, we have, yeah. you know, this dichotomy of this, this small group being portrayed as violent and can be compared to. And we have to remember though, that the, that, it's it's not unheard of for an oppressed group to become violent. So you're not wrong. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I can acknowledge that dichotomy and say that still say that I think that um, this comic did a pretty good job calling oh, yeah. it just it started calling did. it vendor supremacy. I thought was a uh, man. There's a fly that keeps <laughs> hitting me in the face and it's really annoying me. <laughs> I'm really yeah. really frustrated. Um, anyway. I think that calling it Bender Supremacy, I think, is a really good... It was um, good. I, really I good enjoyed that, too. ...thing to call it. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Kind of moving from that, did... Corey, did you like it, then? Or did you not like it? Oh, no, I liked the story. Yeah. Okay, what'd you like? Um, so I loved just, like, all the little small Easter eggs of, like, setting up, like, this is going to become Republic City. Like Toph commenting mm -hmm. on, man, this would be better if these were metal lines, um, and oh, setting up. Yeah. You know, oh, geez, she not even does that. She uses it to fight. Like yeah. hell yeah, dude. But, but she yeah. also makes a comment hell too. Yeah. It's like, oh, these metal lines might come in handy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And not only that, like you can kind of see the start of her becoming the cop. Oh yeah. yeah. That <laughs> she becomes later. Mm -hmm. You know, like like keeping the peace and like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I also love. Yeah. I. I um, I love that she just kind of took on the like, um, oh, what's the term I'm thinking of? The like, the like undercover work on the beach when she's teaching the one mm -hmm. daughter metal bending. Yeah, like she's like yeah. we could totally yeah. tell that. Oh, she's just totally like baiting oh, yeah. her to set this up. And then that that iconic like just side smile that Toph has, just like ha, -ha <laughs> just cracked me up. <laughs> what I actually liked about that is that normally she wouldn't do that, and I think that's a sign of her character development. Yes, mm -hmm. that. You know, she's not she's not a subterfuge kind of girl, and she's you know she's like using her powers to do that to, to have total total control of the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first time where she didn't just go gung ho like let's just break them in half. Let's let's actually like do some reconnaissance. Yeah. Like and like later she wanted to I, break them in half. Yeah. But, I was gonna say she does go back yeah. to the I'm gonna punch you in the face type of deal, but yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I felt like, like, that's what I liked about this comic is that this was the first time I felt like they were truly older than mm -hmm. the show. Oh, yeah. And not just their heights, like, not just the fact that Aang is now taller than Katara, mm -hmm. but the fact that, like, the dialogue seems more grown up. Yeah. And mm -hmm. an example of that is Sokka. Now, with the previous comic trilogies, Sokka's literally just the, the comedy yeah. guy. He says oogies a bunch. He makes stupid jokes. This time, he was still making stupid jokes, but these jokes felt more like your friend who's like a jokester and yeah. like, like ribs on you a bunch. Like <laughs> he like he like he like teases you a little bit about something, you know, and like isn't you know he's he's not a class clown. He's just making little jokes exactly. But he knows when to get serious. Yeah, he knows like when to get serious when he's I, investigating the factory and right, right. And he and Aang like asked him and talked to him about his experience as a non-bender, and he provided it and was like 
super grown up about it. Yeah. And you have to, like, I sometimes forget this comic pretty much takes it takes place like three years after the show ended. Mm-hmm. So like, they're getting they're they're basically Cora's age now. Yeah. When you know in the first three seasons, so mm-hmm. it, it's very appreciative. I, I appreciated a lot that Sokka wasn't just the meat and sarcasm guy. Yes. <laughs> he had he had he had more he had more to say besides saying stupid one liners all the time or yeah. complaining about Katara and Aang kissing or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, s- speaking of that, Emily, do you feel like the writing was a bit more grown up? Yes. How did you feel about the writing of the dialogue versus the previous incarnation? One of the things that I really liked um, was that moment. I don't know. Uh, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but. Um, the the moment where Aang goes to Katara and they talk about whether or not it was a it would be a good idea to take away the bending of the the bending supremacist leader, and I thought that the way that they had that conversation and the way that Katara talks about bending being a part of her culture and her heritage, and and yeah. Aang checking in on her because. Um, seeing the development and the maturity of that relationship him him specifically saying you're usually checking up on me i want to check on and check on you how are you doing how are you feeling in this moment i i read that and i was like oh oh that's so great like that's such a perfect moment because it it is really that development into a more mature and caring and and um you know, balanced relationship where it's not just one person being supported by another person, it's them supporting each other. And what I think is good about that is it's not just with with the previous comics and there was a debate I mean there were debates similar to this in previous comics, but that always developed into these two characters screaming at each other. Yes. Not just necessarily Katara and Sokka, but to- during the rift, yeah. Toffin Aang disagreed, yep. so they just screamed at each other. During the promise, Zuko and Aang disagreed with each yeah. other, so they screamed at each other. It really felt like someone who understood how people actually talk. Yes. Not just an approximation of how people spoke, but like it was written in a real person's voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they actually... like. When Toph suggested that they take away her bending and Katara disagreed, it wasn't just a screaming match. It was like an actual yeah, conversation. Yeah, adult conversation. And, right, right. And it, it, it felt like, like Faith really understands how people, especially longtime friends like these guys are, yeah. how they talk to each other. We're, like, they already know how, what they think with each other. Like, and we as longtime audience members know how each of these characters think. We're not surprised when Katara is that one who disagrees. We're not surprised mm-hmm. that Toph is the one that suggests it and thinks that it's just willy-nilly, no big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was really well done, and I think she really understands um, these characters a lot. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what else I liked is that the modernness felt a little better this time yes. and I liked that they even kind of made fun of the forklift uh-huh. for a yeah. moment. <laughs> <laughs> what what did he what did he what did he say again like it was just like something he's about just, just oh, he said, like why do we name it town. something cooler than cranefish town for- we could name it forklift town forklift town yeah right 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 <laughs> I appreciated the 
they acknowledged a little bit of the forklift there, yeah. but <laughs> it felt like the modernness was a bit more natural this time. It felt like the city itself was haphazard. It mm -hmm. was not well made. Like no. these buildings basically just fell apart at the slightest provocation. Yep. Like yeah. it, it felt like a city that was expanding too fast for its own good rather mm -hmm. than like, oh, it's just a modern, a modern everything. So that that's something that I kind of wanted to comment on real quick. Um, okay. With the with the the non benders and bender um, disputes, um, like with the factories, it seemed like uh, uh, was it Satoru Satoru? I for, I forget his name. What's the yeah. what's his name? Yeah. Um, you you got it. It seemed like he was just operating that factory just like totally by himself. Mm -hmm. So if it's both benders and non benders that seem to be being put out of work, why is the city still so massive? Um, so, like, from that socioeconomic perspective, I was kind of curious, like, why this place still seems to have so many people if the factories okay. are taking jobs from both sides, it seems like. I don't I don't think they were taking jobs from both sides. I thought it was just non-benders working there. They had yeah. non-bender guards. They had non-bender Because it was the, ben the benders are, the more skilled benders can do the jobs of the machines, but... They demand higher wages, and they can't. So they were getting do stuff, go. yeah, year round. Mm -hmm. So they were they were being replaced by machines because they were too expensive. And then you can have non vendors run the machines because it's easier to train someone to run a machine for less money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hashtag capitalism. I think I don't. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if the non vendors were losing their jobs, but I think it was just these people came to this town settled down in their life and now their jobs are being taken away like a year later yeah and i yeah. think that they didn't have the means to leave anymore that yeah. they were stuck and um i definitely got the impression i was seeing the beginnings of the triads as well oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh yeah with like mm -hmm. the groups the groups of benders like fighting mm -hmm. in the streets and stuff and like kind of starting their own like essentially like clubs and that bending yeah. police force that was kind of coming up and what was interesting about that is that they mention creating, uh, adding non-bender. Yeah, and then Cora doesn't have the any non-benders, and Cora doesn't have that. And I, I feel like that would have made sense. So I'm actually surprised that they even made that and like they even put that in as a yeah. as a thing that happened in but the comic. But did those non-bending police forces turn into the Equalists because the Equalists had cheap blocking capabilities, right? And then That's the true. other the the That's one true. other thing that I wanted to like kind of bring up as well is like is this poking fun at Cora a little bit? Remember that moment when when they're talking about taking away, um, oh, what's her name? Her bending, what is her name? Liling. Liling, yeah. So when they're talking about taking away Liling's bending, and someone says, well, she can't be a a leader of a bending supremacist group if you just take away her bending. Do we think that that was making fun of Amon's uh, revelation at the end of season no, one of Korra? I don't know. Because I, I, I was know. reading it and I was like, is this a pointed, like, because it does seem like it, we've talked about this before, yeah. it does seem like it goes away a little too quickly. And is it mm. just because Her Amon's actually a bender? <laughs> or? I mean, personally, I've never felt that, like, taking away a leader's bending would stop anything. Like, I agree. Taking away, I mean, I agree. I've never enjoyed the solution to Ozai being take away his bending. Mm -hmm. Like, you mean to tell me the millions of firebenders who fought for this guy yeah. are just going to, like, oh, 
he, he's worthless now. No big deal. Like, no, no, no. So personally, I've never enjoyed that as a solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it would make more sense as a single leader, though. Uh-huh. I think for Lil Ling, it made more sense than someone like Ozai. Yeah. Mm. But but again, do, but, do we think that it's poking fun at the way that they kind of like... No. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I do think, though, that taking away someone's bending as a whole... I just... I think I agree with Katara that it doesn't... It's not going to fix anything. No. Mm-hmm. The idea is still there. If... It fix like someone like Yakone though, yes. who was an extremely yeah. dangerous bender, who was only that powerful because he had this bending. I yeah. think is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so I guess going into the story, deep into the story, what you know, as much as I liked the writing versus the previous comics, it still has a very. At this point, it's a fucking pattern, and I'm kind of tired of it. All right, technology, technology, technology. Mm-hmm. We have someone who agrees or disagrees with it yeah. and is a is a little too extreme with their measures, and they have two people who work for them who yep. do the bidding of the person, and then they either betray the main villain or they don't by the end. Okay. <laughs> do we think this is a tired trope in these comics or not? I mean, or I would agree guys, with that. Did you guys... Did you guys enjoy that in this comic? I enjoyed it more in this comic than I have in previous comics. Sure. But sure. I think that let's get something new now. Like we we yes, get, we get it. Sake. We get it. There's the traditionalists <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah. the people who want yeah. progress yeah. and they can't ever dis- yeah. they can't ever agree with each other and <laughs> You know, and we know that this will lead to tension in later things, and this comic did yeah, it yeah. better than some of the other ones, but yeah, yeah. give me something more. <laughs> what, so, what I think I got kind of sick of was just the two, the two like, underlings yeah. who just do the bidding. Like, I'm, I liked these two characters, but I'm, I'm sick of seeing that. Like, yeah. I straight up think, like, like, what, three other comics did the exact same thing? Please do something South different. Because North and South does it. The Rift does it. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I think Smoke and Shadow kind of does it Smoke and Shadow kind of does it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there's... Yep. I'm kind of just... Just move the fuck on. Let's get some new different <laughs> character dynamics in here. Yeah. Please. Show us Please. Show us all the stuff that goes on with Yakone. That would be cool. Give us the adult gang. Anything. Anything, for God's sake. Anyway, Corey, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just really annoyed. No worries. Um, so yeah, I, I'll agree that like the character and plot structures um, are starting to get a little bit old hat, but the general concept of technology and industrialization and pollution, I feel like that's kind of always been a really key focus of Avatar. Sure. Because you know yeah. we see that with the Fire Nation ships in the uh, the uh, season one finale and just showing that pollution. Yeah. We see that with the Painted Lady and with the uh, mm-hmm. with Haybai. I think because Avatar and the concept of just the four primitive elements, um, the whole show is really about that that shift between you know the natural order or the natural world versus you know what humans eventually mm-hmm. evolve and do to it. And I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I guess I'm more frustrated with the structure less yeah. than what they were saying. Yeah. Because I think what they were saying was new especially when it came to the bender versus non-bender um, stuff. Um, I just think that there's a different way to do it. 
If I need to read another comic where there's a villain and two underlings who are related or best friends, I'm mm-hmm. going to lose my mind. <laughs> I don't need to keep seeing that. I really yeah. don't. Like, if the um, rift was just more about the conflict between the humans and the spirit world, I think it would be, you know, it would be telling that same kind right. of story, but just in a different way, right? Where both sides have very valid interests. You know, the right. humans want to continue developing and growing their city. The spirits want to you know, keep things sacred and things like that. It would just be a different way of doing the same story. Yeah. And the sad thing is, though, I I think maybe the Korra comics, I think at least Turf Wars, I think, does the same thing. Mm. Like, that's why I'm really excited to get into the Ruins of the Empire comic Mm -hmm. in Korra, because it's an existing villain we already have. We don't need to create a new villain set them up as this scary person and then like make a big deal about it we yeah. can just we've already been established so i i think that i would really like for future comics at least for a little while to do something new with the villains mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just do something new um yeah anyway i don't want to get too negative because i i did like this a lot um i think imbalance does a better job following the rules of bending yes there is no let's make an ice ladder out of nothing mm-hmm. there's no um like let's hold eight people to my glider sort of thing and then the fights themselves i felt were more dynamic yeah mm-hmm. what did you think about that Corey? so well just off the top of my head i loved the maze section mm-hmm. like that just cracked me up that they came up oh, with that yeah, defensive yeah, strategy yeah. And then literally just the, like, shifting cubes and stuff. You know, here's the chi blockers. I just love that. <laughs> that was, like, very well done. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed... Excuse me. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, a fight that I really liked was the fight versus Toph and the Earthbending Sister. Mm-hmm. There was a part where the Earthbender Sister had this giant, like, column of earth uh-huh. and was swinging it around like a sword. Or not even like a sword. She was, like, twirling it, it around. It was more like and, a like, staff, yeah. Sp- Right, but it it felt like grounded. It felt mm-hmm. like, of course she would do that, you know? Like, it didn't feel like she, like, made a column of earth and the column of earth looked like a fist and it, like, punched Toph. It was like, no, she she created this thing and was fighting with it mm-hmm. and Toph and her were sparring back and forth and it, it felt like the, the, the panels themselves felt more... I don't. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not an expert in this thing. It just. <laughs> it felt. It better. It felt better use of the uh, use of the space. Yeah. And it didn't feel unrealistic. It felt like I could picture the fights happening in my head. Yeah. And the panels we were seeing were just one frame of a mm-hmm. of the fight. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, Emily, how did you feel about about the kind of kinetic energy of the fights? I like that the fights seemed more. Um creative you know you think about the fight between the the spirit in um the rift and ang right where he creates this like giant (laughs) kaiju out of the earth and i was like all right that's fine i guess but it didn't feel creative (laughs) the maze truly felt like an innovation of bending and it and it and right and having this collaboration between the benders and the non-benders, having people use their strengths, um, I, I really enjoyed how well thought out this, this plan 
was for defending the factory from right. the, the bending supremacists. Mm-hmm. That actually reminded me a lot of the episode of Korra in season three where the Red Lotus try to kidnap Korra. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. almost like a, a military like, okay, you guys need to go over here. You guys need to go over here. Yes. While you guys are keeping them distracted, we're going to dive down. And there was like a strategy involved. Yeah, oh, yeah. it wasn't and just I, punch I the felt problem. Like I, Right, I felt like be like besides that one moment in Korra and this moment here, there just isn't a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like military precision, and I liked that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I liked that a lot. And uh, what I loved about like I keep wanting to go back to the art, but I loved how fierce Katara looked mm-hmm. in certain shots. Yeah. She was just like she just had a look on her face where she's like, Don't don't mess with her right now. Do <laughs> not mess with her. She's gonna she's gonna fuck your day up. Um Did you guys notice any moments with Toph and Sokka? Oh yeah. Two, there were a couple. There uh-huh. were two taco <laughs> there were two taco moments. But there was you know, one where you know, Toph like punches her or punches Sokka because she's embarrassed. But if you notice when Suki shows up Toph mm-hmm. is not happy about it no. at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she like left because she was like not happy, and I'm like, "What are they trying to do here? What are they trying to do? I I don't I don't know. I don't know. Is this like a love triangle? Like I can't tell. But the intrigue makes <laughs> it interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like I don't know. I kind of like them as friends, but I also like them if they you know. But Suki and Sokka, ah, uh, you know, like. People like to talk about the Aang, Katara, Sokka love triangle. That's old news. No one cares about that mm-hmm. anymore. I think I think Toph, Sokka, and Suki is way more interesting. It is very time. interesting. Uh, okay, I want to talk about our favorite moment. And Corey, you mentioned it earlier. My favorite moment, I think the best part about this whole comic, was when Aang and Katara fly to Air Temple Island, because that is Air Temple Island. Mm-hmm. And they're discussing the future. They're discussing, you know, him taking away the bending. And they end the conversation in a mature way. Yes. And there's just that one shot. I think it takes up the whole page Mm -hmm. where they're just standing together with their hands on the tree, looking out at future Republic City. I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. I think that is absolutely, like, probably my favorite moment in all the comics so far. Like, every single one. I think that is my favorite moment. Mm-hmm. I think that was absolutely like I can imagine this actually being like a part of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, like I can f- I can picture it in my head. I can hear the characters saying it. Every single portion of that felt honest to the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, my favorite part. Uh, Emily, what was your favorite part? <coughs> Yeah, I that I would say that's also my favorite part, and and the the mature way that they support each other, they don't call each other like sweetie <laughs> anymore. There's no more. There's no more oogies. They didn't no say oogie oogies. once. We can. We they didn't can, say uh, oogie once. I was. Yeah. Oh, they thank didn't say you. sweetie. It just it felt like uh. a much more mature relationship. Like I think about how romantic relationships develop. I mean, you you are very. Oh, you know, you're you're very caught up in the moment when you're first in your relationship, and yeah. then later on, you you know, you learn how to support your partner. You learn how to care for them. You know, you learn more how to like recognize their moods and their needs and their wants. And I just I love 
I love seeing relationships being portrayed really authentically and healthily and that that scene is is my favorite moment of this comic too sure mm-hmm. sure uh Corey, uh what's your favorite moment um so i i kind of already said it but i loved the maze concept with the uh, the final defense yeah. um but then of course i yeah. loved the scene with Aang and katara uh, but particularly what i liked about that was kind of like the framing so when they were talking it was just like it was kind of like a side shot of them kind of like looking at the other person so it kind of felt like the camera was the other character rather than you know just the, the over the shoulder kind of camera angles that you would see yeah so i think yeah. there it just kind of like brought another level of like intimacy to that scene it was just really nice yeah i agree um i want to i have a couple of moments i, I want to bring to attention character development Toph not thinking she's better than Sokka because he's not a bender yes <laughs> 12 uh, year old Toph would have said haha I mean she literally did yeah. that in the chase oh, yeah. episode making mm-hmm. fun of the fact that he's basically not a, a fighter because he can't bend so um, character development thank you Toph for growing up a little bit uh, <laughs> and also thank you for having a, a, an extremely powerful character who does not think she's better than everybody else uh, because yes. she can bend like, I mean, she does think she's a better earthbender than everybody else, but, like, she doesn't think she's, like, superior to non-benders. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I like that a lot. Um, I appreciate Toph growing up a little bit uh, by while well, still being honest to herself. Um, um, quick comment. Also, yeah, go ahead. I yeah. loved the panel. I, for, I forget uh, what part of this plot it was in, but it's uh, Toph kind of, like, just crashes through a doorway and someone is talking to her dad and they just say, I'm really impressed with your daughter. And like the look on his face is just like, it's so nice. Cause it's like, he, he kind of has this moment where he's like, yeah, she is pretty great. <laughs> so I like that. Oh, moment. oh, oh, that you're talking really about Toph. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The, the character development. It's great. Um, <laughs> how dark was it that Liling tried to bury her child oh. alive? Oh, God. oh yeah, no, that was totally startling. Her daughter like, is like, white or bending supremacist like mindset it's like you're not even yeah you're not even worth the air that you breathe oh my gosh all because she tried to chi block her that's it. yeah yeah she didn't try to kill her she didn't nope. you know she just tried to chi block her and she decided and by the way her mom or her like screaming her mom like for her mom like please don't hurt me like oh my god dude mm. that was a lot that was a lot that was uh that was pretty dark. I would say that Liling's probably the 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 most evil of the comic villains so far. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that was that was that was pretty nuts. Um, oh, I also liked Aang as Spike Spiegel. That was clearly a Cowboy Bebop. I was I was with his yeah. With okay, his it wasn't just me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was hundred percent. A, a cowboy bebop reference yes <laughs> i actually loved all of their disguises when they mm-hmm. were all disguised as non-benders yeah katara wearing the like wearing the little hat the like oh, earth the bender little earthbender hat, cool. hat and yeah that was cute but she yeah. still had her like little um hair clips in her blue hair clips yeah yeah <laughs> um also i just actually really liked uh katara's hairstyle as well yeah like an evolution of her hair loopies mm-hmm. like Man, I just I think the art was just bomb, dude. And it's sad because I've seen a lot of people online say that Peter Wortman's art is ugly. 
that that what? it's just like hideous and doesn't get the. I'm like, what are you guys talking about, man? Like, like the previous art was great, but I just I think there's something special about yeah. Peter Wortman's art that I love. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It has a subtlety that I like. Yeah, exactly. And I love the 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 like the beginning when they first show up to Cranefish Town and there's just the sea of houses and yep. each one of them was individually drawn mm-hmm. and they all looked different. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the I think he got I, I think he really gets organic material. Yeah. Not yeah. organic but like nat- natural material very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, even though they didn't say Oogies or Sweeties, Toph did say Lily Liver once or twice. That's okay. <laughs> That's um, fine. She can't say that. She can't I say was, fuck in the comics, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said, she. it was like once or twice. I was kind of okay with it. Um, I did think it was funny that she was like, yeah, my Lily Livers learned how to metal bend. You're just really bad. Good job. <laughs> pretty, 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 uh, Pretty, uh, pretty rude to be like the most powerful earthbender. People like, people look up to you, and you just tear them down like that. How dare you, Toph? Um, do we have any other final thoughts about this comic? Um, Besides that, I thought it was a delight. I've kind of noticed something funny about some of the comics. Um, just like, like personally, is like as things are happening and unfolding i like have these thoughts in my head and then it's like the next panel Sokka says the exact same question i had and it just cracks me up so like the moment when they're going into the councilwoman's house and she's like saying like she's so humble and all this stuff and i'm like what are you talking about like that's such an opulent giant house and then Sokka just says this is humble like it just cracked me up and yeah yeah. (laughs) i really liked uh uh, Sokka in this whole comic Mm -hmm. like he says the only reason I hang out with you is to impress strangers. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't just a stupid little. Oh, I'm Sokka. Look at me. It was like no. That's like what a what a funny guy says. Like he was just he was just he. I don't know. I I really like Sokka this time. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he was. It was the first time in all of the comics where he felt like a character. And first they fe- and I feel like they knew how to use his strengths and his personality personality. Right. Right. You know, like use his investigative, you know, strategies right. and and the boomerang. Like, I love the boomerang yeah, moments yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> uh, Emily, do you have any other final thoughts? Um, just that I I appreciate the really authentic way. You know, we we're talking about authenticity with the Netflix. I appreciate how authentic this comic felt. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I really would like for them to do another trilogy. It's mm-hmm. really sad that they've only given us shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this team did a really good job, and I'd like to see them keep going. <laughs> Excuse me. So let's see uh, let's see what more they do in the future. Thanks, guys. All right. So we're going to move on to my favorite part of the uh, podcast. Uh, that's obviously trivia. I say this every time. It's never a surprise anymore. <laughs> um, maybe one day my favorite will be something else. Uh, current standing, we have the Salamander Axolotls with 17 and the Wolf Marmots with 17. Things are heating up. This is the first time where I have no idea where things are going to go, so I'm excited to see what happens. So, uh, I mentioned off camera, but all three questions this time are going to be using the whiteboard, so please write your answer down first. 
And when you put it up to the screen, please say it for the viewers at awesome. home who aren't looking at the video. All right. So, according to the Avatar Wiki, how many Earth Kingdom characters are there? Now, before you write anything down, that includes pretty much any character that has a Wikipedia article, or a, a Wiki article. So that doesn't have to be a named character. It can be any character that has anything to do at all. Anything. Are oh, we man. counting animals as characters? No. Okay. We are counting, uh, I don't know if spirits are counted necessarily, but any Earth Kingdom character. Okay. But like I the Earth King's bear though, would not be on there. The what? No, no, Bosco would not be on there. Okay. Just, just um, wanted to. I will say, few, few disclaimers here. This does not include the United Republic, and this does include every single creation in the franchise. So all comics, Korra, the books, everything. Oh no. <laughs> I love this. This question. is horrible. Uh. <laughs> You're the worst. Uh, closest wins. Closest wins. All right, I Emily. Feel you got five seconds. About this. All right. You got it. Everyone's ready. Yep. All right. Go ahead and put it on the screen and say your number. Okay. So mine is one hundred and forty-two. I said one hundred and one. <laughs> okay. Uh, Emily, that goes to you. Yes. Yeah. The yep. correct answer. The correct answer is two twenty-eight. Oh wow, I was way off. Damn. <laughs> yeah, lot. By the way, I will say in comparison, Earth Kingdom has about double the amount of characters mm -hmm. as everybody else. Yeah, yeah. It is the biggest geographical it, it, region to too. And I think they just the shows shows in the comics and the games and the and the the books spend a lot of time in the Earth Kingdom. It's yeah. very interesting. I don't blame them. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. I don't. I think they're probably, like, just in general, I think the most interesting um, place. Although I would like to see more Fire Nation. You're please. not wrong. Speaking of Fire Nation, oh, uh, once again, you're writing this down. How many times does Ozai appear in the original series? Before you write anything down, please note, I am not including um, dream sequences or um, imaginary moments. Uh, one thing I'm thinking of is when um, Roku is first telling Aang about the comet, there's a scene where Ozai is shirtless and he goes, uh, uh, and he like he like shoots yeah. fire out of his mouth and you can't see him. He's in a silhouette. That does not count as an appearance because yeah. I don't think that actually happened. I think that was so, just a... Is this, is this uh, how many episodes or how many scenes? <coughs> um... Episodes, so like okay. he's credited in in as an appearance. Okay. So once again, no dream sequences. Okay. No um, hallucinations. No like, yeah, none of that. What, what about many, he's what about camera. photographs? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about appearances, so flashbacks do count. By the way, for full disclosure, I'm basing it off of the wikis. Uh, the wiki's count of appearances. I'm gonna write down that number. All right, you almost ready, Corey? Yeah. 
All right, Emily, go ahead and put yours first, and then Corey will put his next. All right, lucky number seven. Okay, uh, Corey. Ten. Oh, geez, hold on. Uh, Corey, you were correct. Oh. Yes, you were the closest. <laughs> uh, the correct answer is nine. Oh, we were both very close. Good job, though. Corey. You were both very close. I had to look for a second. Yeah, good job, Corey. <laughs> Um, yeah, good job, Corey. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting that he appears in like less than like a sixth of the episodes yep. and is the main villain. Mm -hmm. Interesting. However, like thinking about horror movies, horror movies like in my mind are a lot more effective when you don't show what the monster sure. or the villain is truly capable of or like you don't it's show like Jaws them. It's just like <laughs> the mystery. And so I like that they don't yeah. really go into him as much. I like that his true I mean, capabilities you, you are You don't mystery. even see his face. Oh, it's great. You don't even see his face until season three. And you don't see him fight until the finale. Oh. And when he fights, you're like, holy shit, this guy's actually really good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, really good. He lives up to All the right. hype. All right, finally. Yeah, he does live up to the hype. Finally, <laughs> we have... <laughs> this is an interesting question. Oh, tiebreaker, too. According to IMDb, what is the score of the highest rated episode of Korra? Oh, of Korra. They, they scored out of like 100, Korra. right? So it's a 100 point scale. So it's not, so they, it's one out of a, it's one out of 10. It's one to 10, but they use points. So 8.8, 7.2, it's a 100 point scale, but it's one to 10. So your number Highest should rated. probably be blank point blank. Highest rated. You should have just said it was out of a 100 of point scale. And he would put like a, 45 or something like that and then <laughs> I would be win. correct I would win no. <laughs> all right I'm so nervous Aria okay you're good <sighs> by the way bonus points if you can correct if you can guess the uh, episode as well oh I have no idea all right five seconds uh All right, you guys ready? Yes. All right, write a number down. Corey, you're gonna go first this time. Oh, good. Crap. <laughs> is everyone, well, I'm, everyone's I'm still, I'm still trying to think of what the what the episode is. Um, but it's only a bonus point, and we're tied we're anyway. They want to see. They want to see what's going on. All nine point right, two. I put nine point uh, five. Throw out an episode. I put nine point five. Okay, throw an episode out there. Uh, the episode with Old Toff saving the, the whole family. <laughs> okay. Um, highest rated maybe three years later? I don't know. Okay, uh, wait, three years later? The one, the Is one, the, the, the premiere oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, So, Cora Corey... <laughs> Uh, Operation Beifong was number 10 out of all of it. Hey, it was not rated bad. 9. <laughs> and then um, after all these years, it was listed out of 20. It Aww. was 20. Listed with 8.7. Venom of the Red Lotus, which is also my favorite episode of the show, is listed at 9.6. Yes! 
So, Cor uh, Emily, you got that. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Corey. Do I do I get the bonus point for closest to the episode? <laughs> no, 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 no. Get out of here. Get out of here. I will say, which w this is kind of interesting. Uh, 9.6 is tied with uh, The Beginnings Part 2, mm. which I think is another really good episode of the show. So... Uh, thank you both. Uh, that means the final total comes to Emily with 19 and Corey with 17. We're back to Emily kicking butt, man. Corey, eight, what are you eight. doing here? I thought I was 18. No, oh, we 18. were tied yeah, at 17. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Oh, oh, yeah, you have 18 now. Corey's right. You're right, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> One point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 19 and 18, you're correct. Uh, with that, Emily, you have the uh, responsibility of... Uh, giving us your final word and closing us out. Give us another comic with the creators of Imbalance, please. But also drink water, go to therapy, take your meds, all that good stuff. In that exact order. Yeah. <laughs> as as need applies. Okay. <laughs> I've already cut you out, by the way. That's this, fair. Uh, That's that'll fine. be that'll be gone.